with Scott Allen. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in this beautiful world. I am your host, Scott J. Allen, and this is Phrenesis, Practical Wisdom for Leaders. Now, I am a professor of management at John Carroll University in Cleveland, Ohio, USA. In addition, I'm a husband and father of three teens. Now, this is a family endeavor. Will played the intro, Kate voiced the intro, and who knows, you may hear from Emily a little later. I'm also an author, entrepreneur, speaker, and co-founder of the Collegiate Leadership Competition. I love to travel, explore new places with family, and learn from others. Phronesis offers a smart, fast-paced discussion about all things leadership and followership, if we're honest. My guests are scholars and practitioners, and we cover relevant topics and incorporate practical tips designed to help you make a difference in how you lead and live. I am proud to share a few updates. According to Listen Notes, Phronesis is listed as among the top 3% of podcasts in the world because of you. So thank you. In addition, the podcast has two sponsors. First, Phronesis is the official podcast of the International Leadership Association, an association that is near and dear to my heart. ILA brings together leaders and those who teach, study, and develop leadership, advancing leadership knowledge and practice for a better world. Learn more at ila-net.org. My second sponsor is the Bowler College of Business at John Carroll University. At Bowler, we offer several advanced degrees and MBAs, and I'm confident that there's one that will fit your location, interests, and timeline. In fact, our online MBA is ranked as the number one in Ohio and number nine in the United States. We offer international study tours, a contemporary and forward-looking curriculum, and access to senior leaders and flagship organizations. Learn more at business.jcu.edu. You can find links to both sponsors in the show notes. Now, if you like what we're up to, please hit subscribe so you can stay current as we release new episodes each week. You can also share what we're up to with others, friends, colleagues, leaders, teams, students, and others you think will benefit. And now, today's show. Okay, everybody, welcome to the Phronesis Podcast. Thank you so much for checking in today, wherever you are in the world. Uh, We have some incredible guests, a fun conversation ahead, and today we are going to honor Women's History Month. And it's March 2023. My first guest today is Dr. Lisa DeFrank Cole. She is an author, educator, leadership coach with more than 25 years of experience working in universities and in state government. Lisa works with individuals and groups to support their leadership learning and development through her writing, speaking, and coaching. She currently serves as professor and director of the West Virginia University Leadership Studies Program in the Eberly College of Arts and Sciences. In 2022, she won a Most Promising New Textbook Award from the Textbook and Academic Authors Association and the Award for Outstanding Scholarship from the International Leadership Association's Women in Leadership Member Community. Both awards recognize her work as co-author with Dr. Cheryl Tan of the recent textbook, Women in Leadership, Journey Toward Equity. She's been awarded a Fulbright Specialist Grant to the Kingdom of Bahrain and has presented her research internationally. Her forthcoming book, A Research Agenda for Gender and Leadership, co-edited with Cheryl Tan, will be available in March 2023. Now, speaking of Dr. Cheryl Tan, she is an applied psychologist, leadership educator, and coach, and author with over 20 years of experience in higher education, research, and consulting. At Claremont McKenna College, Cheryl is the Director of Internships and KLI Research with the Kravis Leadership Institute and Visiting Assistant Professor of Psychology. 
As a scholar on women's leadership, she has published articles, chapters, and books on leadership with a focus on women, gender, and inclusion. Her book, Women in Leadership, Journey Toward Equity with Lisa DeFrank Cole, received a 2022 Most Promising New Textbook Award from the Textbook and Academic Authors Association. Recently, she co-edited with Lisa DeFrank Cole, a research agenda for gender and leadership. Cheryl served as the 2016 chair and member of the executive leadership team for the International Leadership Association Women in Leadership Community, supporting leadership scholars and practitioners to advance the research and knowledge of women in leadership. Cheryl was recognized by the ILA Women in Leadership member community as a 2022 winner of the Outstanding Scholarship for Established Scholars Award. Cheryl is an inaugural member of the National Advisory Committee for Leadership for Public Purpose Classification. You can tell we work together. Yes. <laughs> and, and of course, uh, my co-host today, Dr. Tony Middlebrooks, he creates programs and tools, designs learning experiences, and explores the intersection of leadership, innovation, creativity, and design. He is a clinical full professor of leadership in the Warrington College of Business at the University of Florida. He's taught aspiring leaders from youth through executives, creating a wide range of courses and programs in the process. Dr. Middlebrooks is lead author of the textbook, Discovering Leadership, Designing Your Success, now in its second edition. And he's published numerous articles and book chapters and delivered hundreds of presentations. He is also co-author of Public Sector Leadership, co-creator of the Idea Fan Deck and Design Thinking Cards, and serves on the editorial board of the Journal of Leadership Studies. Dr. Middlebrooks has a PhD in educational psychology from the University of Wisconsin-Madison. This is a very accomplished group. I'm so excited to have this dialogue today. Thanks to the two of you for being with us, Lisa and Cheryl. We are so thankful for your time today. And of course, Tony, it's good to have you back as well, sir. Good to be back. Thank you. Cheryl and Lisa, what do you want listeners to know about you? What's something that's not in your bio that maybe we can only find out here on Phronesis? They heard it here first, right? (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. I think it's important to know that I'm a first-generation college graduate from Appalachia. I grew up in southwestern Pennsylvania and moved around to Michigan and Pittsburgh and back to West Virginia. And I didn't know much about college when I went, but I loved education. I pursued each successive degree with some doubt and surprise when I finished. And I certainly never expected to be a professor, nor did I think I would be an author. So that's a little bit of behind the scenes. I love it. I love it. Cheryl, how about you? Yeah, for me, I am a second generation Filipina American, born and raised in Southern California, right here in Los Angeles. And so I believe that's part of my social location really influences who I am, my perspectives and how I see the world. I've been in Southern California pretty much all my entire life, finishing high school, graduating from UC Irvine and that is a part of who I am. I love Southern California. Other things about me on the side, I am a registered yoga teacher. I've been teaching yoga for mm, 10, 12 years now, somewhere around there. I can't, I stopped counting. And so that's something I like to do in addition to the research and work that I do at Claremont McKenna and with Lisa. Oh, it's wonderful. Well, it's wonderful. Well, thanks to the two of you for being with us today. We really do appreciate it. And 
Tony and I and some co-authors, Minnie McNutt and Jim Morrison, had been working on this textbook, and we had this feature in the textbook called Experts Beyond the Text. And of course, the two of you were raised to the top of our list of people that we wanted to include, and really on this topic of women in leadership. So if we think about that topic, I think what we want to explore today are what are some ground level baseline things that listeners should understand. And then I think we also want to maybe get to towards the end of our dialogue, what are some resources? Obviously, the two of you are developing resources, and we'll restate that. But are there some other seminal works or resources that you found beneficial? What are some kind of foundational elements that people need to have on their radar? One of the things that we talk about in our expert beyond text piece for your book was this idea of second generation gender bias. We didn't talk about that, or it wasn't explicit in the first edition, but we felt it was important to make it more explicit when we revised it for your second edition. This is important because it gives you an idea of some of the barriers that women face as they get into leadership. So second generation gender bias has to do with these cultural, attitudinal beliefs that we have about gender, about women, and they're a form of implicit bias, basically. It's not an overt bias that we express, and both men and women have it. Everyone of all genders have this implicit bias. And this comes from the idea that we don't have role models, that it's hard to be what we can't see. So there's a lack of role models for women. We have gendered career paths. So we see that women tend to go in certain career paths. Men are encouraged in certain career paths as well. There's a lack of access that women have for networks, for sponsorship, for mentoring that perpetuates um, the second generation gender bias. And there's also the double bind, which we did mention in the first edition of your book, the double bind having to be with that challenge that women face in being liked as well as seen as competent. It is incongruent for women to be both a leader as well as be seen as a woman in many ways. Perhaps Lisa can elaborate a little bit more. Yeah, Cheryl did a great job in, in outlining the second generation gender bias. And I, maybe I could tease it out a little further and share the distinction between first generation gender bias and second generation bias. First generation bias was overt. This is where a woman could be fired from her job for being pregnant, for example, which you could do in the United States up until the late 1970s. So that is first generation bias. Second generation bias, as Cheryl said, is more covert. It's less seen. It's less obvious. And an example of that is perhaps, you know, a woman is working in a company and her boss knows of an opportunity to go overseas, but he doesn't tell the woman about the position that is coming up because he thinks he's doing her a favor because she has maybe a partner and small children and he doesn't want to make her have to choose between leaving the United States and going abroad and, and the, the challenge that it might incur there. So for a case like that, it, he, he doesn't even realize what he's doing in that example. And it just what happens is it inadvertently advantages the men on the team because he talks to his 
other male colleague and offers him the opportunity to apply for that post. And we know that if you go abroad, that sometimes you get your ticket punched. It is a way to move up in an organization from that stretch assignment. So that's kind of the difference between first-generation bias and second-generation bias is that covert piece. A lot of this research is looking at groups, right? So we, we, we sample groups, and then we make generalizations back. And now with this, you know, the increasing awareness that gender is relatively fluid, right? And you know, we all have our own distinct individual personalities. Is this work at some point, do you think, going to transition into more of a, a focus on individual consideration? Where do, you, where do you see that going? I think it's important to acknowledge that gender is fluid and there's a spectrum in gender. And I think that as we think about the concepts of gender and leadership is women is part of that, Right. Women are part of that gender. Um, men on the other end are part of the gender. And there's also that in between. And so I think it is an area, gender identity especially, is an area that research needs to start to look more deeply at because there's very little research out there. Um, there's a few people doing it, but not very many. So I, I do think that, yes, there is a line of research that is going in that direction, looking specifically at identity and gender identity in particular, as it relates to leadership. And I think that is really important. Yeah, I agree with what Cheryl said. And I also think that uh, we should still keep investigating women and leadership too, and certainly disaggregate data. When we talk about women, they're not one large monolithic group. We need to say, what type of woman are we looking at? What race, ethnicity, religion, ability, socioeconomic status, these kinds of things, and who gets to lead? So I don't want to lose the focus on women in leadership as we well should keep exploring the broad spectrum of gender at the same time. Yeah, this is a topic Lisa and I have had conversations about many times in terms of gender and leadership and where does women in leadership fall into that and this yeah. idea of gender identity as well as intersectionality because as Lisa mentioned women are not a monolithic group there is so much more depth and different identities that women are connected with and so I think that's also important to point out that Lisa I have had this conversation many many times and we don't always we agree don't. and I think exactly. yeah and that's important to mention too yeah yeah, we oftentimes, not heated, but we we have an academic conversation about this and we don't always come to an agreement. And we talk about that in some of our writing in our, in our upcoming book. Not everyone agrees, right, on what gender and leadership should look like. Hmm. Right. The cutting edge is the bleeding edge. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it's so refreshing to hear that kind of behind the scenes conversation and disagreement and, and batting about ideas. And, and I, I would love for students to hear some of that. I think a lot of our students come to the table and, and certainly the general public through, through news media comes to the table and thinks, oh, professors think they know it all. They think they're experts. And, you know, we strive to find answers, but the reality is answers are complicated. And in the social sciences, even more so. It, it's fun to hear 
the two of you and your collaboration. Scott and I argue we fight like cats and dogs, but (laughs) your song's much more constructive. (laughs) It's healthy to have these arguments, to question each other, to question our research, to encourage students to question the research. Where is the perspective? Where is the theory coming from? Is it coming from a white male perspective? How does that resonate to someone who is not, who may be from a BIPOC perspective? Does that apply to them in the same way? So I think it's really important to look at, say, social location, ideology, hegemony, those critical perspectives, and have students think about what it is they are learning and question it. Patrick Lencioni talks about in his book, The Five Dysfunctions of a Team, that being afraid of conflict can actually hold a team back. And so I think Scott and Tony, that you do find like cats and dogs, or the (laughs) fact that Cheryl and I can disagree and still be wonderful collaborators at the same time is healthy. And I think it speaks to the work by Lencioni. Exactly. Are there other not contentious, but unknown new frontiers in this space that people should be aware of, that there isn't clarity around it. I mean, what are the two of you seeing? What other conversations are you having? I think getting behind that curtain a little bit and understanding that would be fascinating for listeners. Scott, I think that's a great question. And I think Cheryl alluded to it when she was talking about this forthcoming book that we're that's coming out on gender and leadership. I think in the recent past, and even not so recent past, I mean, it's been a while that so often when we'd see the words gender and leadership in a chapter, in a textbook, or in an edited volume, for example, really the content was about women and the challenges that women face, the labyrinth, to use Alice Eagley's term, Linda Carley's term, that labyrinth of leadership that women were facing. And as Cheryl said, Gender is a spectrum. And I think just within these last several years, we're seeing a shift towards exploration of gender identities as they relate to leadership. And in the past, when we talked about gender and leadership, it was really focused just on women. I mentioned intersectionality a little bit earlier. And I think that's a particular area that um, comes to mind for me, especially looking beyond just gender as a demographic or a variable, but beyond gender and the different nuances that come along with an individual, whether it be race, ethnicity, education, any kind of privilege out there, and how that connects with opportunities for leadership, I think is really important to start to look at. Those are some of the com- that comes to mind. Lisa, I'm happy to hear you're a first-generation college person. Uh, I am as well. And I come from a long line of Polish factory workers, half of which were women. Mm. And as I think about my upbringing, particularly with my grandparents, great-grandparents, it strikes me that there are some interesting, I'm assuming, cultural variables, both within the United States and then across the globe, that interweave with some of these gender and leadership issues. Could you speak a little bit to some of those differences? Absolutely. And Tony, we might be related from way back. Who knows? <laughs> my, my grandparents, on, the ha- on my mom's side, my grandparents were Slovak. And on my dad's side, my grandparents were from Italy. So my parents were first generation 
Americans. So, and I think that's a connection point that Cheryl and I have too, is kind of the recent immigrant experience and that work ethic that comes along with it. And I think that's also one of the reasons we work so well together is I've never had a partner like Cheryl who works as hard as I do, so to speak. (laughs) I don't want that to come across as sounding arrogant, but we go toe to toe. I mean, late nights, early mornings, whatever it is, Cheryl and I were always right there with each other. I mean, it's wonderful when you have a partner and you don't want, I mean, you never want to leave that partner because (laughs) they they work (laughs) like you do. And I would say that, you know, I certainly don't know all cultural elements, but the East European side, I mean, I've talked to some people who grew up kind of before the Iron Curtain came down in the old Soviet Union, kind of those states and where women worked differently, they they went to work, whereas more Western women were stay-at-home moms during the, I mean, we're talking like after World War II in the 50s and 60s. And so I think if you meet people from, even if we just use Europe as an example, in this case, Eastern, Western Europe, there might be different perspectives and expectations of women being in the workforce, paid labor force, as opposed to working from home, as I think perhaps some of us might have experienced in the United States thinking about people our parents' age or grandparents, where, where were they working outside the home or inside the home? Cheryl, what do you think? Women have always worked, especially maternal employment. And women have always worked to some degree in different areas, whether it be in the home, but also outside of the home. And that hasn't always been recognized in many ways that women have always worked. They've always helped to support the family. And so I think that those cultural ideals, whether it comes from a Western or from a different perspective, have a big impact on our views of whether or not women can lead. And so it has influenced deeply those views and those ideas of what women's work should be, so to speak. I think think that's been a big, big piece of it that we don't always realize or acknowledge that women have always worked. They have worked behind the scenes. They have worked in various arenas. What has been a challenge in women in leadership is that women's leadership have not has not always been recognized throughout history. Yeah. And like Cheryl was saying, it's those historical foundations that impact women as leaders today. Right. They impact women as leaders today. They influence the prototypes in how we think about leadership. And that prototype doesn't usually include a woman. So, so this is just my own personal curiosity. I spend a a good deal of time early in a person's leadership journey trying to tease out for them conceptually, leader, the person, the role, leadership, the process, facilitating the process. And it strikes me that I, I, and, and I guess what I'm wondering is from your perspective, do you think that once that starts to parse out a little bit as, as people start to understand that leadership is facilitating a process? that that understanding might move us a little bit more toward gender equity and how we approach promoting men and women? I think so. I think so. I think that understanding that leadership is a process, it's more than just an individual, helps us to see that leadership exists in every single setting. It exists in the home. It exists 
in communities, it exists in the workplace, it's moving it beyond the title of leader and toward leadership. And so I think as we broaden and understand that, that leadership can happen in our everyday lives. We can practice leadership with our friends, with our peers, with our classmates, with our colleagues, with our family members. And I think that's important to distinguish. I think at times, even the students that I'm working with, I have a group of juniors that I'm with right now, and they don't see the dynamics in their house, their living facilities as an opportunity to lead. The puzzle being, how do we get roommate number three to do the dishes, <laughs> you know, and we don't necessarily see that as, and, and we talk a lot about that, whether that's on their athletic teams, whether that's in the classroom, on their group work, wherever that is that they're living, there's opportunities there. It's happening all around us. And it's happening to your point, Cheryl, in our families, it's happening in our organizations or not. And are your eyes open and are you seeing that, right? And so Tony said something that I think was it sparked a thought in me. As we're working with young people, what are some core concepts that they have to have on their radar? What would we want them to be aware of when it comes to this topic? Do the two of you have anything top of mind that that you think about when you think, okay, if we're going to help young people see some of these dynamics, see some opportunities to shift the norm, what comes to mind for you? I was thinking about asking the question, if we're thinking about gender equity and we're thinking a woman may not be up to par, so to speak, and why is she doing that, could ask the question, would we ask a man to do the same thing? If we just replaced you know, she with he, would we have the same expectations? And I think that's an important takeaway for any person listening to think about is that sometimes when we think, well, she is she is committed or is she loud or she seems awfully aggressive? Well, would we say the same thing about a man in that position? I think also realizing that these issues of gender and gender equity are issues that are important for everyone. We often think of it as oh, that's a woman's issue, or that's an issue for trans people, but that's not an issue for men. But I think it's an issue for everyone of all genders. And I think it's important, especially for men to be advocates and allies and to learn about these issues because they often hold more of the power and the authority and the privilege at this present time. And without them, the power, they maintain that power. And so we need, we do need everyone to be a part of that move towards equality and to embrace equality. That's the theme for International Women's Day, actually, is embrace equality. And so I think that needs to come about for everyone of all genders. And so that embracing equality by all genders. And it's certainly not trying to supplant men and have this balance kind of go upside down so there are more women than men in leadership positions or roles. That's certainly not something that we're advocating. It's it's equity. And what we have found is what the research is showing is that when women are involved in an organization, whether as leaders in a corporation or on corporate boards, 
it's good for business. It, not only is it a nice idea to have equality for women, it's also good for business and profit margins have shown to go up. There's more interest in social entrepreneurship kinds of issues. So it's 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 also good for business. So you may not be aware of this, but in the new edition, we've created a new segment in every chapter called DEI by Design. And over the course of the 16 chapters, it introduces a wide, wide range of concepts and, and ideas and perspectives related to DEI. But one of the ways that we approach this was we're not asking whether you agree or disagree with DEI as an ethic, but we are pointing out how it is a very valuable tool to maximize the effectiveness and the impact of individuals and of the organization. So whether it's DEI and how it impacts decision-making or problem-solving or sustainability, as in sustaining the organization and its future success, there's a lot of really important aspects here. And so I think what you're saying is, is very similar, that if we're trying to maximize the success of individuals and organizations, whether it's a business or a nonprofit or a government program or whatever, there are individuals, whatever their gender is, that have some amazing things to contribute. So are, are you maximizing that value? And if you're not, or if somehow you're overlooking that, then those are tools that aspiring leaders need to figure out and understand. Absolutely, absolutely. All organizations, corporations are made out of pe- made up of people, and those people are diverse and different. Even looking beyond the color of their skin or the shape, you know, if they have long hair or whatever expression they might have out on the outside, there's also those diverse pieces within that we might not see those invisible cultural aspects, whether it be, say, religion, ability, socioeconomic status, education, those are also points of diversity, equity, inclusion that we might not always, that's not always visible. That's not clearly visible. If you just look at me, for example, you'll see an Asian woman, but beyond that, you don't know what my socioeconomic status is. You don't know what my education is and how that might either disadvantage or privilege me. Those are not seen. And so those are just as important for that diversity, equity, and inclusion ideas in how we move people towards equity. And it's not new. I mean, Hoffman and Mayer did this research, and I think it was published in the 1960s, that the most creative groups are the ones that are more diverse. Those that are putting out the best solutions for a challenge are from diverse teams. I think each one of us has to maintain a humble curiosity in, in the process of building relationships with others, a humble curiosity about learning about the experience of others learning about their lived experiences. And I think one of the most important learning moments of, of mine, I was working with the YWCA and I was listening to a group of, this is probably a decade ago now, listening to a group of executives talk. And one woman said, look, I, I am the only senior leadership team member that does not have a stay-at-home spouse. I cannot at the drop of a hat, get on a plane and go to China. And that's my lived reality. Or when I get dressed in the morning, I have to pay close attention to not being too provocative, yet trendy. 
And of course, there's a whole host of other nuances of what my wife is experiencing at times, whether it's sitting in a meeting and the the male is getting all of the eye contact and she comes home and I'm and I'm thinking, for real, that's a thing. I didn't even know that. And and again, that humble curiosity that what what I see is not reality. And I need to be open and I need to be interested and I need to be engaged in what others experience. A few weeks ago, I had a really important conversation with two scholars from New Zealand about Jacinda Ardern and her role as prime minister. And some of what they said she endured is just toxic. So I don't know. I keep coming back to that humble curiosity because I'm I'm not seeing or experiencing so much of it. Yeah, that totally makes sense. And sadly, her experience is not a novel experience for women in government, women in leadership, in politics, in those particular arenas. It's sad to say. Yeah. And it's a way to silence women. I mean, it's a strategy. Yes. Scaring women and making them fearful is certainly a strategy that has worked often, right? And so it's still out there. However, if we could stay on Jacinda Ardern for just a second, I would say that it was an act of noble leadership that she stepped aside. I mean, if there's not enough in the tank, it's okay to say, I can step back. It's not as if, you know, sometimes I feel like we're being instructed by Machiavelli himself, kind of hold on to power at all costs, right? And and she and some other world leaders have recently stepped back. And I think that's a good model for other women and men, to, yes. to be honest. When when right. we are tired, it's it's time to step back. And thank you, Scott, for your vulnerability to tell us about your perspective and not seeing some things. I think we all live in our own worldview at times, but it's that humble curiosity that you're mentioning that is is beneficial for everybody. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yep. And it it helps to for Jacinda Ardent to to show these the that side of her because it brings to light these issues and you would not have been able to know about those without her bringing it to the forefront. In moving from the the philosophical and the the political policy questions and and the research oriented to the practical, so we're all leadership educators. We're all trying to uh, help the next generation of leaders be as effective as they can be, uh, and and that's kind of the point of the textbook as well, of course. And you mentioned the interesting exercise of swapping out the pronouns in a given statement or a given situation. And to see how that might look different, which I think is a, a fabulous exercise that can just be done in, in numerous contexts. So my question is, what are some of the practical lessons and or activities or applications that would really kind of highlight some of these perspectives? There you go, Tony, trying to make it the the name of the podcast align with the topic, practical <laughs> I, I sometimes Sorry. finish and I'm like, I don't know how practical that was, but it was fun. <laughs> so thank you, Tony. I think it's a great question. <laughs> Tony, thanks for the question. And I think it's always great to have a practical application. And I think moving towards a collective organizational culture is one practical solution. I think if we look back, just a few decades, there were leaders who espoused a severe competition, compete, 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 and 
compete on, in, or you were fired if you didn't meet your sales goals or what have you. And I think that competitive mindset within a company is old news. It's time to look towards a more collaborative mindset. What can we do together? This generative partnership model to think about the Hurwitzes from Canada talking about that, that one plus one is more than just two. It's the the generative spirit of what is created from among the group. So instead of competing, I think having a collective idea will help the organization. And it has been shown that women in particular thrive in places like that. They thrive more in a collective organizational culture rather than competing against others. I think another practical example, especially for women individuals in particular, is developing positive belief systems. Positive belief systems like having a strong leader self-efficacy or a growth mindset, that can help Buffers some of the negative impacts of stereotypes and help women to work towards strengthening their leader identity. So self-efficacy, for example, some ways that leader self-efficacy can be enhanced is through mastery experiences. So working on building those mastery experiences so that they can feel success by taking on challenges. And this could be incrementally challenging leadership activities. So taking smaller pieces and starting to feel success in these challenging leadership activities. Another way to build leader self-efficacy is through vicarious learning. So observing how other leaders or others that they see practicing leadership observing the strategies and what they can do. So those are a couple of ways to support that leader self-efficacy and positive belief system. With growth mindset, we know that growth mindset is thinking that we can learn and grow and have a positive way to take things on. So for example, with negotiation skills, if women believe that negotiation skills are something that can be developed, then they'll be more likely to work and learn and to apply the techniques needed to negotiate successfully. And then that helps to defy some of those stereotypes that often are placed on women and that they don't negotiate or they can't negotiate, for example. And to build on that, I, I just wanted to say that women aren't broken. We're, you know, all of this is to say that our practical solutions aren't saying that women are broken and need to be fixed, and it's up to them to, you know, take another class, figure out how to negotiate. And Cheryl and I talk about this, you know, in our book, and I think it's mentioned in your book. Systems have to change, and so some of the practical applications can be personal, and they should also be systemic. Well. I know we promised listeners a couple resources that the two of you have found beneficial. Authors, books, articles that have been really influential in your own work that come to mind for you? Alice Eagley, her, her research has been tremendously helpful to me. And I also think Ely Ibarra and Kolb, just about anything that they've yes. written. <laughs> 
yeah, there, there's a lot out there. Herminia Urbara is wow. So anyway, yeah, those are some of the, the people I go to. I think I would say the same. Those are definitely the ones that I would point out as well. Work by Crystal Hoyt. There's a lot of strong work there, especially on stereotype threat. That is really interesting. There's a lot of good ones out there. And I've also enjoyed the work by Barbara Kellerman, her books. I mean, so there are kind of research articles that are amazing. And then there are also books. And I have found Barbara Kellerman's books to be wonderful as well. For listeners who don't know this, Barbara blogs pretty prolifically, like daily. And I don't know if that's how she writes these books, but she's incredible. She's so productive. And she has some interesting posts recently about women in leadership. And and I think the post was called something to the effect of women in leaving, women in leaving leadership. Uh, the CEO of YouTube had stepped down and she touches on Jacinda Ardern. So she, this is a passion that she has as well. Tony, any resource come to mind for you that's been been educational for you and your own growth and development? Yeah, in, in, in this area, the, the biggest resource that I'm looking forward to is the book that uh, Lisa and Cheryl are going to have coming out shortly. Because, you know, in the spirit of humble curiosity, that's the whole reason we invited you as experts on this topic. I don't know a whole lot about it, but I know my students need to know some things about it. And you two really crafted the essence of it. So I am deeply appreciative and look forward to learning more. One other quick resource that is uh, is a good one is Julie Owen has We Are the Leaders We've Been Waiting For, Women in Leadership Development in College, which really, she was an early guest on Phronesis, and that really opened my eyes to a number of, again, dynamics that were completely invisible to me. And so again, that's a resource that I've found beneficial. I think all of us can learn, develop, and grow. None of us are finished products. Are we humble about our knowledge? And are we staying curious so that we stay open to learning? So Cheryl and I actually presented at the International Leadership Association Conference with Julie Owen last fall. And so have really come to appreciate her and her work. And so certainly would add her to the list too. Absolutely. Well, to the two of you, thank you so much for being with us today. We really, really appreciate it. Tony, always good to be with you, sir. Even if you don't have a microphone, I still I still love you and I still care about you. Okay. Okay, for listeners, I'm going to have to buy him a microphone and send it to his house. I think that's how it's going to have to be here. If we're gonna continue, we can so. chip in. Yes. Chip in to get Tony a mic. Yes. <laughs> Start a fund. Go, go fund, fund me. So everybody take care. Thanks for checking in today. We really, really appreciate your time and uh, go out in the world and do some good. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye. What a fun conversation. And thank you so much to Lisa and Cheryl for their time. Just uh, important work and excited to get my hands on this new book that they have coming out that really explores what is the future of this work. And I think that's going to be really, really great to investigate and just to learn. And speaking of learning, I think that's the practical wisdom for me. Are you curious? Are you curious about other people's lived experiences? Are you humble enough to admit that you don't see the whole picture? And I think for me, that is an important characteristic of a great leader. I don't know that we'll find that in the situational leadership theory or LMX, but for me, it's critical. Are you open and are you exploring 
and are you curious and are you seeking to understand, as Stephen Covey would say. So thank you so much to uh, Lisa and Cheryl for their time. And of course, Tony for joining as a co-host. Speaking of learning, it's time to start thinking about International Leadership Association in Vancouver, Canada, next October. I'll put a link in the show notes, but if I were you, I would start thinking about what that is going to look like. Lisa and Cheryl will be there. Tony will be there. I'll be there. And again, just a wonderful opportunity to learn, connect, and build relationships with people who are also curious. Take care, everybody. As always, thank you so much for checking in. Bye-bye. You have just finished another episode of Practical Wisdom for Leaders with Scott Allen. To contact me, visit www.scottjallen.net or send me a note at scott at scottjallen.net. I can also be found on Twitter and LinkedIn, so let's connect. Now, if you have feedback, I'd love to hear it. And as always, thank you so much for listening. One final nod to our sponsors, the International Leadership Association and the Bowler College of Business at John Carroll University. And now, here's Kate's twin sister, Emily, with the outro. You've been listening to Phronesis, Practical Wisdom with Scott Allen.